Hey everyone, welcome back to another one of the Fight Site preview pods. This is Dan Albert. Um and with me is the usual Fenyo. Um I am going to preemptively apologize ahead of time because I am not feeling the best for this one and I'm extremely tired. So if I say extremely bizarre things midway through, everybody blame Fenyo for this. It's all my fault. Hopefully the the weird stuff that Dan says is it's for the better. So yeah, that's we'll see how this turns out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm just feeling a little under the weather. Other I haven't felt too good lately, but um so I'm not as prepared as I would have liked for this, but that's okay. So this pay-per-view is I think better than the last one. Um, though it kind of takes a little bit for it to get to the really interesting things. So that's my main statement on it ahead of time, but uh otherwise there's some way more intriguing things than the last time I would say. We should start from the bottom of the gardens. Yeah, and as usual, as usual, we're using the topology page for this. Um, yeah, at the very bottom is, um, yeah, the prelims, a welterweight bout between Jeremiah Wells and Mike Mathitha. I think that's how you say his name. I yeah, could I not for the, I could not for the life of me find any MMA footage on Mathitha, but I did find he's coming from a kickboxing background. So it's one of those transitional things. Um, yeah. So I, I, I can't. Kickboxing guy. Yeah. So I can't really comment on Mathitha at all. Wells, um, I saw, kind of seems to start strong and has a somewhat like their kind of top game, more for like suffocating and smothering as opposed to like damaging. I don't really get like his on the feet process. He's very one speed and kind of spam or tells the other guy just eat the overhand right over and over again kind of thing that was kind of my impression of wells wasn't too impressive but i don't really know his opponent here to make a read yeah from from what i think what i see from matera um from kickboxing is that he likes to switch stances a lot and he kicks and then it's it's way too good his go-to defense is like catching clinches and he's very good at landing knees there. Um, always interesting to see how, how that's going to translate to MMA where there's takedowns. Um, he has a submission win in MMA and he can see it's a very bad takedown, but, but then he shows the ability to grapple, but we don't know about the level of competition. Um, yeah. Wells on the other hand is like, very bouncy on his feet, and he's very, very powerful and athletic. But, but as you said, not since like the death. Just undisciplined. Undisciplined, I say, is a good word. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing that, that I think makes me like lean to the well side and here is that he's been on more MMA fights. He's been on five, five round fights and. He, he looks solid from top position, like he has some great ideas, and you can see his, his very impressive his strength in favor. Other than that, this is like just a guess because we don't know much about Matera other, other than his kickboxing career and him being like um, an easy teammate. Mm-hmm. That's why he's here, I guess. But yeah, yeah. yeah I'm going well by decision, but it's just like. Yeah, who knows? Uh, next fight is at Bantamweight. Um, 
Douglas Silva de Andrade is taking on Sergey Morozov. Uh, Silva de Andrade is really, really fun to watch. He's pretty violent. He's kind of physical. Originally, though, um, um, I think he kind of had a stint up at Featherweight, kind of found himself outsized by Grown Murphy, who's a decently well-schooled fighter. Um, the, the good news is um, he's he's still kind of pretty dangerous and a, kind of a threat at kind of the, I'd say, top 15 area of Bantamweight. But he, he's kind of um, up there in age at this point. He has to still has to rely upon his physical, like, blitzing. And against guys who, like, can kind of read those entries or can out-scramble or out, like, strike him on the feet, that's just kind of his general issue. Yeah, the thing with uh, Silva Andrade is that he has a good eye for openings, but he's pretty stiff. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't pain a lot. He's, he's kind of rolled in that sense. Uh, but still, he's, even as he says, very impressive, basically very strong. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and he uh, can still surprise. That, yeah, yeah, because he's very explosive. I mean, uh, his last fight, was his last fight that knockout? His last fight was, um, I think it was with, with left hook. Ro- no, it was, uh, I think it was with Lerone Murphy at Featherweight. I, I don't know. No, no, no. He, he had another fight with Gaetano Pirello after that. Had that knockout with the left hook. Oh, yeah, yeah, hooking. you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I do know. Yeah, I he, do can, bring up- he can still serve. He can still surprise with that kind yeah. of stuff. It's always mm-hmm. from, from top position as well because he's huge. Yeah, he surprised so what's your as well. Um, Morozov is kind of, um, hard for me to figure out. He's kind of a little too reactive. I'm not too keen on his striking and ring craft because he seems really stiff and rigid. And I get why, because his whole game is, like, waiting for you to j- come forward and, like, he targets the body locks and whatnot. Um, here he might meet a problem with kind of depth from Douglas Silva de Andrade. But I don't know. It, it kind of depends upon who kind of can control, like, um... When they tie up, like, how does that, how do those physical engagements kind of work? Um, because it's I, interesting I, because Morozov, Morozov, like, keeps like a close distance that is good for him when he tries to wrestle. Um, he's more fluid than Silva Andrade, but he doesn't have the, the same depth on the striking, I would say. Um, yeah, that's, that's exactly paints, what I was saying. Thanks a lot that he's very active. Um, other than that, um, I like that he should essentially get transition inclinations. Problem with transition into inclinations is that, um, the Silva is a tank, so he might have trouble getting takedowns. But, uh, he might, he might find some success, like wearing him down eventually through the fight, because Morozov seems to have, like, a very good cardio and especially well suited to wrestle for a whole fight. Mm-hmm. I'm not yeah, sure think- if, uh, Douglas can, like, sustain that at this age anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's kind of the question for me as well. Like, how do the tie-ups look, and whomever gets control of them, however they get control of them, is probably more, most likely to win this. Unless Day and Drosh just kind of, like, is able to pressure him and then just bonks him. Otherwise, I don't, I don't really know. It's yeah, that, that, that should be, like, that should be, like, his best path to rebut But he's not usually the pressuring kind of, unless he's, he feels like he's losing. Um, probably here Morozov takes the, takes the initiative, and it will be on the Silva to, to find counters and, and the, the rest of the 
I'm not yeah. sure. I think I'm leaning more soft here, but this is a very close fight. This is an interesting one. Yeah, it's it's strange to call because um, I feel like I'll take um Day Andrade just to balance it out because I I don't know. I kind of lean some. I I lean more with Day Andrade's process and experience than I do with Morozov's here. It's just it's a weird one to call. I feel. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it's, I guess it's a good one. It is a good one. Yeah, should be entertaining. Day Andrade is usually pretty fun. Um, next prelim fight uh, is a middleweight between Jacob Malcone and AJ Thompson. And guess what? You thought the Contender Series nightmare was over? No, we have Contender Series people on this card too. Um, it's never over. No, it's never over. So, um, I basically, I'm going to read word for word what I wrote for my notes here. Malcolm is basically re- reactive, like shot the movie and chain wrestling makes him really, really annoying in tie-ups, but he's not super dangerous. But comparatively, Dobson basically runs at everyone and just throws overhand hooks and then basically gets like taken down. So although he's kind of wild, like he runs into so much that I'm pretty sure Malkin like like will just reactive take down him and then get decisioned on the ground. Yeah, the thing is that Malkin is not like a great wrestler. He's a, more like an all rounder kind of type, but he can chain wrestle. And and the thing with chain wrestling is that it's very tiring and he can't sustain that for for the whole yeah. fight, and that's very impressive. Uh, on the other hand, Dobson, the problem with Dobson is that, yeah, he blitzes and ends up in the clinch all the time. And that's like basically what Malcolm wants in the first place. Um, to be honest, to me, this looks like, uh, really a awesome fight again for Malcolm, but even is an easier, an easier version of that fight because Hassan seems to be, have like a, a better process on the feet and also has like do the background to defend on the clinches and that didn't help. So, yeah, I think this is Malcolm's fight to lose. Yep, for sure. Um, Don't really think it'll be a finish. I think Malcolm just wrestles him to death on the ground. Yeah, just, just going to grind him, probably. The other fight, on the other hand, um, is a kill-or-be-killed fight, and you were telling me beforehand that this was going to be the people's main event. Um, it is also, It is a light heavyweight fight between Carlos Holberg versus Fabio Charant. And I'm going to have Fenyo explain why this fight is going to be really, really funny. So, so basically, both very powerful guys, um, striking-wise. Um, they're both strikers, but they are very different. Like, Olberg is he's a, a silly kickboxing guy. Um, he likes to take, like, the back foot and likes to pretend he's like Sanya. Um, he paints, he kicks. He mechanically looks pretty good, actually. But he starts falling apart when he starts getting crowded. Uh, not a lot of defense in the way. Um, he looks good, like circling around the cage at the, at the beginning of the fight. But if you put any kind of pressure, that starts falling apart. Uh, Sharon, on the other on the other hand, is like very front foot heavy and trying to look like blitzing with white hooks. He's a southpaw too, so he's like constantly like trying to fight hands, but not doing anything with that. Um, the thing is that he can cover distance well, but, uh, he's very open for counters. So yeah, someone, someone's getting bumped on this one for sure. 
Sure. Yeah, so, like, the first thing that really stood out to me about Olberg was, oh, my God, he gets himself back in the fence and gets into, basically has to war his way out every time. And it's like he has, like, a decent check hook, but he takes himself out of stance so much that, like, he gets hit way too much for comfort. Chiron doesn't do a lot, I think, better on the back foot either, but I do see him applying some double threats, even though, like, five seconds later he got killed by a guy named William Knight for that. Um, it's it's still like, a, this fight's probably just going to be like, okay, who can handle having their back to the fence and it's better, and who can put the other guy to the fence easier? Someone's probably going to die. And yeah, basically... Be- Basically, Sharan is going to like blitz forward and just catch Olberg, or Olberg is going to catch him with the with the check hook. But someone's going to save him. Yep, it's very very dumb, but hey, that's as fun as light heavyweight really gets. But I mean, we're we're all for if if the bad fights are are gonna be like this kind of dumb, uh, I'm all for it. To be honest. True. True. Alright, uh, next one I think is the first really, really interesting fight on the card. Uh, 155 between Alexander Hernandez and Hanato Moicano. Um, I, I think there's some issues with Moicano's game worth pointing out. Namely, like, his composure when he's against, like, an athletic threat who can outgun him. But also, like, um, usually if he can't get, like, certain facets of his game going, especially his kick game. Um... Moicano's kick game is pretty effective though once he gets it going because he's great at disguising it off of other tools into one another and then punishing resets. Um, he can deal with non-linear, uh, non-layered threats really, really easily. He Hernandez here is not kind of the bet to really take advantage of Moicano's weaknesses. I feel because Hernandez like shows that he's pr- a hard starter. He's fast and athletic, can surprise people. But he doesn't really have a cohesive process. Because you'll see him kick, you'll see him pressure, but then like someone like Thiago Moises basically realizes, oh, that's kind of all he does, and he kind of never changes rhythm or tempo, so I can just draw him into counters over and over again. And it's kind of a lot of smoke and mirrors with Hernandez, because once you get past that opening, oh, he's coming after me really, really hard, he doesn't have a lot after that. Yeah, I think the Hernandez lately has been developing like, like good like combination punching. He, he's not great in the pocket, but if you like just cover up, he's very good at finding openings and he's very fast and powerful. And that could uh, cause some trouble to Moicano that likes his mm-hmm. double, double forearm guard, um, uh, especially early. And, and yeah, it's interesting because both guys present problems for the other, but Moicano seems a lot better, better equipped to deal with the, the problems that Hernandez brings to the table. Um, but, but things that Moicano after that PCL fight, he looks, uh, kind of fragile to me on the, what's his name is the, the A. Herbert fight. He, he looked like he didn't want to strike there. That, that wasn't a good sign, I think. Um, on one hand, he, he didn't like the, the, the distance, I think, because Herbert is very long and, and knows how to maintain a long distance. And Moicano, coming from Featherweight, was being like the lanky guy. Uh, Hernandez, on the other hand, very short, but he can make up for it with, 
with his ability to close distance because he's so explosive and powerful. So interesting to see. Um, another thing is that Hernandez is very hard to take down, so I don't think Moicano yep. can like just shoot a takedown if he needs to. Yeah, Moicano is um, a good grappler. It's just like if he can't get the other guy down, he doesn't really have much else. Yeah, and he, he can have like good reactive takedowns, but I'm not sure those will be available here just because Hernandez is like so stocky and heavy with the hips. Didn't Hernandez really kind of compete with Trinaldo? I forget about this because I refuse to rewatch that fight. No, yeah, they, they didn't like change a lot, but Hernandez was like handling like, uh, OAM in the clinch, and that's very impressive, I would say. Like, yeah, that is. Basically. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to take... Go ahead. He was doing well. He was doing well with, with Cowboy in the clinch, really going on to Cowboy, like, figuring him out. So, yeah, I mean, Moicano has all the tools to win this fight, but, but he has to stay composed, because if Hernandez gets going, it can get dangerous for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Moicano sometimes, like, when he's dealing with a durable, like, threat or just someone who outguns him, like I said, he gets really, really frazzled and basically just decides to bite down and throw, and sometimes that costs him. Um, so that that's the intrigue here. I hesitate with Hernandez having enough layers, though, to do that. Um, so I, I feel like Moicano, by decision, is my safe pick for this one. Yeah, Moicano needs to get the kids going early. Yes. And, but, but also interesting to see if Hernandez takes the takedowns. They are there. I'm not sure if he wants to go to the ground with Moicano. But, yeah. But it's a, this one is a very good fight. I'm, I'm yeah. excited for this one. Yeah, it should be pretty um, fun. Yeah, I take the bite and I'm going to, to choose Hernandez by only knockout just for, just for the sake of variety. Sure. Um, next one, I had a hard time finding footage for one of these guys. Um, Ronnie Lawrence, um, I actually found footage for. This is a bantamweight fight. His opponent, Mana Martinez, though, I could not find anything. And for some reason, Fight Pass wasn't letting me watch any of his fights. Because Fight Pass is a broken system designed by the oligarchy or something. I don't know. Um, Lawrence is pretty interesting. He's a little bit wild, but you see a lot of play between his feints rhythm in a really, really aggressive, like, clinch and takedown game. Um, it, there's a lot of, like, smoke and mirrors with the footwork, kind of being a little too much like the Dominic Cruz kind of extraneous movement without the ring craft. But he's really, really, like, clever sometimes with how he, like, can draw guys in and then take them down to it. And on the ground, he's pretty dynamic to deal with. So that's kind of the danger for anyone fighting Lawrence. And um, reading Mono Martinez, uh, his record, told me he was tapped by a guy named Draco Rodriguez, whom I recall isn't really that good. So I don't I don't have a lot of data to work with Martinez here. So I kind of tentatively need to assume Lawrence kind of probably subs him or decisions him. I don't really know. Were you able to find anything? Um, I watch uh, Martinez fight with Kennedy in the UFC. It's interesting fight. Like Kennedy surprised him early, being very athletic and powerful. Uh, but then Martinez like came back into the fight. He he's like a good kicker and can get 
he's allowed to pressure. He has some interesting boxing ideas. He can like, yeah, he can put some combinations and knows how to, to manipulate his opponent when he's pressuring. The thing is that I'm not sure if he's, he's going to be able to pressure someone like Lawrence that always has the reactive takedown on the back pocket. Um, Lawrence can be vulnerable on the feet because uh, he doesn't move his head a lot, but he's active with his feet. And as, as I said, he always has uh, the reactive takedown there. And then once on the ground, uh, the chain, the chain grappling is very impressive. You can go in from, from wrestling scrambles into professional jiu-jitsu very, very fluidly. And as you said, very dynamic. This also has like a very good balance of ground pound and and hunting for submissions. So yeah, I think Martinez kind of outgun on this one just, uh, just for the sake of, of variety that Lawrence presents here. Um, yeah, Lawrence Daisy pick here. Martinez can, can offer some interesting ideas here, but I'm not sure if he will get to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lawrence by decision or submission probably feels the safest. Yeah, I'm going back to submission. Um, okay, so then we have, um, another light heavyweight bout between William Knight, who has the most ridiculously jacked physique I've seen in the longest time, uh, versus a guy named Maxim Grishin, who has like 80,000 more fights than him. Um, <laughs> and my read on this was like, Knight, Knight seems to be one of those quintessential, just like, I wait until you do something and then I throw really, really, really hard. Hard but I don't really do anything like to deal with defense. I just kind of wait for my opportunity and make the most out of it to either make you back off or hit you hard enough to knock you out. Um, so I don't really feel like I have a good read on Knight. Uh, Grishin, though, like, I, I did notice a lot of interesting, like, cohesion between his game, like, recognizing threats, drawing them out for counters. Noticed a lot of transitional work punching into clinches, and then using that clinch to push them into the cage. He'll often attack resets. And so there's kind of an experience edge for him here that kind of makes me lean him. I just also know Knight is like kind of a really, really deceptive kind of fighter that I don't get, though. Yeah, the other interesting thing here is that Grishin is often huge. Like, I mean, obviously Knight has an absurd physique, he's like a complete block of a human being, but he's still only like five foot ten and that's being generous. Uh Bridget on the other on the other hand is not as skinny like six foot three guy. So I'm not sure if Knight's gonna have like an easy time reaching um reaching his chin. Uh is very can be very responsible with his entries. So I'm not sure if Knight is going to have the easy counters that he wants to have. If Knight is forced to like close distance, um, it would be interesting to see if Rishin can like, um, get some grappling going on there. He should have a big advantage there, but Knight being so stuck is probably hard to hold down on the ground. Um, in his last fight, um, many people tried to wrestle him and he didn't have any success, but Rishin probably a better Technical grappler than many plays. So, yeah, uh, Grishin there. Yeah, the sizable, like, experience advantage and 
and this, his games just makes a lot more sense. Knight can mm-hmm. show some decent, some decent striking ideas here and there, but he's not very consistent. Most of the time, he depends on his opponent like making mistakes and being or being scared of him. I'm not sure Grish is that kind of guy with his experience, and I'm leading to choose him, choose him to win this fight. Yeah, likewise, Grishin, just by experience, kind of makes me pick him as well. Being so fucking big. Yeah. So, moving on, mm-hmm. um, we have a fight that has been booked like a million times. It's Flyway is... Hmm? Wait a minute, Fenya, we already did this two pods ago, so if you want to hear our preview for this, go back two episodes ago. You can find it on yeah, my Probably our, our, our analysis there was better than this time. Because probably. We've done, uh, I feel like we've done this like three times already. Yeah. Alex Perez versus Chanel. Yeah, it sucks that Alex Perez hasn't gotten to fight for a while, just being sentimental here, because he's one of the cooler fighters in Flyweight's roster. Um, He's really, really good. He's great. One of the most consistent, I think, in the sport at disguising his level changes into punches, kicks, and vice versa. Excellent at drawing responses and then throwing back. Like, like, and he starts really, really hard, can tr- chain it together into his wrestling, etc. Um, the, the one thing Perez has that's kind of a problem throughout his career is that he can be caught in transitions and exchanges on the beginnings and exits. So kind of Schnell's uh, opening here is that he's like willing to throw and he has a pretty decent lead hand, especially a check hook counter. So I feel like um, this is a fight that'll come down to like, okay, the check hook counter is good, but how much is your ring craft and depth of game going to work out against someone who can do a lot more than you and is more experienced than you like Perez? Yeah. So, uh, Chanel here needs to needs to take risks because if he tries to play safe, he tries to be technical on the outside against Perez. Perez is, has more firepower, has more avenues to hurt him. Um, Chanel very very heavy on his front foot and Perez loves to kick the legs. So, so yeah, I mean it might be a little bit counterintuitive because Perez is the is the bigger puncher of the two, but. The more time Chanel gets to gets to spend time in the pocket, the better for him because he's actually like the better boxer in that kind of situations. Um, mm-hmm. He might get caught with a big punch or something, but but at the same time, that's where he's most likely to find the the big punch that he he needs yeah. to win this fight. Yeah, it, it's a very rough fight for him, but it will probably be competitive if he goes about it. The way we think. The other thing is that Chanel is very good off his back, but yeah, Perez not the not the kind of guy you want on top. It's very, it's very, very dangerous scary. With the ground pound. Yeah, yeah very, 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 and very good at getting to the ground. Anyways, like still was doing basically everything right until Figueroa choked him. Yeah, but, and and Chanel too is like because he's good off his back. The the thing that defense is not great. Um, he's very good at sweeping from from bottom, but Perez looks very heavy from the position, so I I would not be counting on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna say Perez by late finish or uh, decision. Yeah, same. I think uh, Perez by knockout because Chanel 
which is known to the trial here and there. So next slide. Mm-hmm. Women's flyweight. Um, Fanyo, you get to say their names because I I'm always gonna mess this up. Uh, we're moving to women's flyweight. It's Roxanne Malaferi versus Casey O'Neill. Um, so so yeah, basically, um, biggest problems for Malaferi throughout his her career has been that facing very athletic. Grapplers, yeah, and she's gonna get at, out athleted here again. Yeah, I mean, O'Neill, very strong grappler and way, way more athletic than Roxy. Not to mention, not to mention, way younger too, because Modafferi is almost forty now, I think. Yeah, thirty-nine. O'Neill only twenty-four. So. Yeah, it's um. um on- the thing that makes me really concerned with Montefiore is like she's always you see like some of the processes there with like what she's doing, but everything is so stiff, and she's always throwing with with like her shoulders going forward instead with like her forearm, and so that just means like her striking form just always is is all over the place, and especially her footwork. Um, and so then, then you'll see her meet O'Neill, and O'Neill like um has some good pressure and clinch work, um. But then I also saw her chain wrestling of the Shevchenko sister, the younger one. I don't remember her name. And then um, then I was like, yeah, Roxy's probably gonna go for a ride. Yeah, I mean, if if we go by process, Modafferi um, is probably the the better striker of the two, but. O'Neill is so much cleaner technically and just faster. So, so yeah, Molafer is going to get jabbed a lot, I feel. And she's going to get some success, I guess, on the field. Um, and if she ends up, she ends up on top, it might get interesting. We haven't seen much of O'Neill off her back. Uh, but if O'Neill lands on top, like, uh, Molafer is technical from guard, but but the thing is that she's not very fast and it starts like telegraphing her moves. And O'Neill seems to be very solid in the composition. I doubt she will concede like, like an arm bar or an open attack. And she's going to be heavy on top and down through the ground and pound. And O'Neill has some of the best ground and pound we've seen in, in women's flyweight. So that might be concerning for a lot of her. Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of feels like a clear-cut O'Neal probably finisher decision win. Yeah, it's either it's either a ground and final finish or a decision for me. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of bad decisions, um, they put a heavyweight fight on here, and it's Andre Arlovsky versus Jared Vandera. And my notes for this is, who gives a shit Vandera might just get doubled to death. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if it stays on the feet, this might be interesting, but there has some, some cool stuff here and there. He's, he's very consistent because it's heavyweight and no one is good. And uh, Arlovsky's like 43 and I'm pretty sure like 30% of his losses are knockouts if I've been paying attention. But then I saw he's on like a five fight winning streak for some reason. I mean, no, he, he lost to us, in between, but yeah, he's been, 
He's been winning a lot more than losing lately. Which is crazy because it was like it was like ten years ago that we we were saying Arlovsky was gone. <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah, heavyweight's really bad. Holy shit, that's so bad. Um Arlovsky basically like like just surprises heavyweights with the with the novel idea of having a lead and and an inside doki and then being able to finish that's that's enough to like for most heavyweights to don't know what to do. Uh mm-hmm. Bandera Bandera has has looked solid here and there striking as you said already. Um being that on the field is a good it's a good um a good precedent. I mean, Tefa doesn't strike like Arlovsky at all, but he's he's competent striker. But yeah, the the problem is that Arlovsky does these things that that most heavyweights don't do. So I'm not trusting any heavyweight to beat that, on, unless they are like obviously good, or I've seen them deal with that kind of shit before, and I I haven't seen. But there are like like looks like he could beat Arlovsky, especially because he's so old and. He seems to like power nowadays. Um, he has he hasn't been knocked out all the time lately, but you know he's still like kind of shiny and and all. Uh, but but I I just haven't seen Bandera beat a fighter that can do like the the current stuff that Orlovsky does. So it's basically that for me. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting for the decision for the division if like Orlovsky stops beating everyone because. <laughs> Because come on, guys. But but yeah, I mean, I just can't trust these guys anymore. Like I I thought Chase Chairman was going to be Arlovsky, and then Arlovsky made him look like an idiot. So so yeah, I'm not I'm not falling for that trap again. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So who, my my analysis: is Who gives a shit? It's heavyweight. Um. But I I do give a shit about the next fight. Uh, 155. This fight's one of the must-watch parts of this card. Nazrat Hotkaras versus Bobby Fucking Green, and um, this fight is fan fucking fantastic. Um, so Hotkaras to like, although Hooker kind of beat him, um, I do think like a lot of the same things kind of uh apply to Hotkaras, kind of in terms of his strengths. He's aggressive, pretty aware with his guard and footwork, fainting. Um, I'm very, very good with rhythm, um, playing with counters and drawing things out and then changing his shot selection. There's still kind of the same problems though. Like if he's not the one going forward, he's not as successful. Vulnerability to kicks, uh, tendency to cross his feet, um, on pursuit and not so much of a kicking game himself. So a lot of those things kind of play into green doesn't like do a lot of the things that can take advantage of those, but he does do enough that there's probably going to be some like massive issues. Nasrat runs into in terms of a depth fight here. Yeah. I mean, Hector has like knows how to, how to do a lot with a very, with a very basic game. And that's not a bad thing. Um, the trouble with him is that he can like run out of ideas. Um, mm-hmm. we've seen here, like, struggle with not great fighters when the fight is starts to go deep, like Alex Munoz fight or the Rafa Garcia fight. Um, he was content to winning, like, the same exchange over and over again, and that's not a thing that you can do against Bobby Green. 
because Bobby Green is going to. I mean, he tries to sell like his defense is a lot better than it than it is, but don't be fooled. His, his defense is still like very good, and if he starts making you miss, making you hit like the top of the head, the shoulders, he can start finding answers. When he finds answers, um, be it with counters from distance, he can close distance with the clinch, he can counter, he can do a lot of different stuff. He doesn't have a lot of connective tissue between between all those different skill sets that he can do it all. So yeah, the longer the fights go and and Green starts figuring out like hacker tricks and timing, uh, the more in trouble I think Nasrat uh, is going to be. Yeah. So Green. Um as far as lightweights goes, is one of the best at playing with rhythm and tempo. His timing is superlative. Um, the thing about him that really, really, like, it, it, he'll struggle with, like, certain, like, athletes and guys who are better in longer exchanges, but if, like, they can't outread him or out-muscle him, they're going to be in trouble. Like, he's excellent at, like, picking up those single-layered strikes, if that's all they got, and then taking those away. Like, when Fazeev started kicking him a bunch, bunch, he started picking up on, like, oh, okay, that's the timing for the counters, and then I can build off of that to keep, like, the exchanges going and make you back up, because I know you're just going to keep trying to kick me, and I can carry him and just punch you more. Um, gr Green's upper body reflexes are still pretty good, but so it's, like, it, it does make him, like, a little open to, like, body shots or, like, guys who can put more into, like, their throwaways. But, like, he does little cool transitional things, such as little teeps to the body, and then going into a body lock to, like, a clinch knee. And then you'll see him, like, use constant frames to, like, fend off flurries. And then, like, as soon as he fends them off, he'll just shift into southpaw and then hit you with a straight left. Like, just so many, like, little tools that it's kind of, like, again, as skilled as, like, Hawkcross kind of is, or as gifted as he is, there's kind of, like, it feels like a big difference in like how much one guy can do versus the other guy and I feel like you just have to pick green in that kind of fight yeah I mean thing is that the blueprint for Hakparas would be like the Poirier fight but the difference the big difference between Hakparas and Poirier is that uh, Poirier has the layer combinations to surprise someone like Bobby like Bobby was trying to do his reads but but Poirier was unpredictable with the shifting and the, the lever punching all the stuff that that Hakparas lacks, so so yeah, I mean Hakparas will will have to take risks on this one, and I'm not sure if he's going to find out his way. He has it. He has an uh, he has a good shot early to catch Green. I mean, Green's chin has been looking great even lately, but Hakparas is still a very very big puncher, especially early on when he can surprise you with with the left hand. So. Interesting to see. I'm going Bobby Green by decision, but this one is one of the best fights. In the yeah, this is one of the must-watch fights just because Bobby Green is so fun. Um, like, Bobby Green has really turned into like with his poise and like experience. You can really see like a lot of that, like him maximizing upon all of his gifts as of late. Something he never really did early on. So yeah, he he's a tough one for most of lightweight, anyways. Um. Yeah, next fight is a a bantamweight fight between Kyler Phillips and Marcelo Rojo. Um, I I didn't really get a good read on Phillips to be honest, but 
because his ring craft is kind of all over the place, especially on the back foot. Like, he has no sense of, like, cage positioning. But then he'll just blitz in, and then, like, he goes so freaking fast that, like, the other guy's like, holy shit. It, and just is so willing to throw. And he'll keep, like, finding that same opening again and again. So, my guess on how he works is that he's kind of an opportunist, but just also has, like, really surprising athleticism to help back that up. Um, I, I don't know. What's your read on Kyler Phillips? Yeah, I mean, Phillips is, like, like, as you said, very athletic. Um, he's, like, very, like, more than process, he's kind of a trick guy. Like, he has this bag of tricks that he tries to pull off. He tries this thing that doesn't work. He goes to the next one. He finds something that works, and he can do that again and again until he's countered or he's punished for that. And I think that's that's not a bad approach when you're that athletic, especially because he has the he's pretty decent in transitions, actually. Um, not great in the clinch, but he has, like, good reactions there. And if he goes to the ground, he's actually very confident. So he can take the fight everywhere and his, his, his tricks and his overwhelming athleticism to take advantage of other guys. Um, the, the thing is that the cardio has a little sketchy. Um, so interesting to see that. I mean, Rocco also looked like he didn't have you know, tons of cardio in his last fight to be, but to be fair, Jordan was like kicking the shit out of him. Uh, interesting mm-hmm. to see Rocco cutting to Bantamweight too because he's coming from a, from a featherweight fight. He should be pretty big, but Phillips is big too, so interesting to see how they match up physically. Um, yeah, Rocco I see. Is... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, you... Okay. All right, fine. Yeah, I see like Rojo having like some urgency, but it's like the reason he gets his ass kicked by someone like Jordan is that he gives up that initiative so much. And you see like he's so passive with his fainting that it's just like the other guy's like, Oh, you're not gonna do a whole lot. So like, although your shot selection's decent, what if we I just keep throwing at you and you're just not gonna be able to do much about it? You see like some craft he has like stiff arming to collar two knees, etc. But it's like the moment the opponent mixes up the attacker like starts coming in on him hard. Like, he doesn't offer as much resistance as you think. And yeah, so I think that, in, in, a straight up, in a straight up striking, this might be close, but I think uh, Phillips has, like, the, like the transition game um, present, and that's going to follow Rojo, I think. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. Phillips is, is able to, to go through phases, and he, he might not be great, um, in individual phases, but he can, like, tie it up with his dynamism. And I think that's where Rojo will find trouble because I think he's going to try to have to keep this one on the feet and Kyler can surprise him with a takedown and even if he gets back there's a huge There's a feet. huge speed difference, a huge, huge speed difference. Yeah, I mean, especially with the with the feet because um, Rojo is, like, he's, he's explosive himself, but... For because of his stance, he's kind of put slow, and I think that plays into Phillips' game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like Phillips by decision or a late knockout is most likely. Yeah, like I, I'm going Phillips by decision. Phillips, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm going to go Phillips. Like he did, I know. Yeah, the thing is, like I, I did, however, see Phillips hit Song Yadong with. Shots that would have killed anyone else, though. So yeah, <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if this was a knockout. 
at all. Um, yeah, but if you get tired like you did against Piva, oh yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, pretty fun matchup though. Hard to say what will happen, but um, yeah. Oh, oh god, this next fight. Uh, why is this next fight insane? I mean, if some people were calling the the last week's main event the most middleweight fight of them all, this one is like the the athletic version of the most middleweight fight ever. So we're yeah. going middleweight is Jared Canyoner versus Derek Bronson. Yeah. So um, oh boy, this fight is hilarious. So I'm pretty sure this. F- so I, I'm going to quote exactly what I said to Ed. This fight has like sheer panic written all over it for both guys. Because it's basically, can Brunson get Cannoneer to the cage and down before Cannoneer kills him dead? Because um, I saw Till's rhythm messing with Brunson and that didn't bode, wor- bode well. But then I s- realized, oh yeah, Cannoneer doesn't have good takedown defense. And Derek is still one of the better wrestlers and top control artists at middleweight. So what the fuck's going to happen as soon as this fight starts? Yeah, I mean, um, he really, like, think on defense depends a lot on him being, like, way stronger than most people. And I, I'm not sure he'll have this against Bronson because Bronson is very athletic and strong himself. Um, probably Bronson is going... Unless he get like killed immediately, he's going to get takedowns on this one. Oh, the difference be- between Canyonier uh, and Chill is that Canyonier's uh, uh, like fundamental grappling is very solid, uh, and Bronson hasn't hasn't been looking like very dangerous from top position against guys that actually know how to grapple. We get to look good against um, like Sebastian uh, and and Chill, but. Those guys aren't like good rappers. Um, Holland was able to like, I mean, Holland was, was held down, obviously. And Bronson wasn't, wasn't accomplishing a lot on, from top position against Holland because Holland actually, actually can grapple a little bit. And I think, uh, similar stuff with Kenny Nair. The thing is that on the feet, if Bronson like starts panicking, going for takedowns and he can get them, um, Kenny Nair is going to kill him. That's it's that simple for me. It's it's like um, the thing about Cannoneer, and I was talking with Ed about this. Is like Cannoneer is um, you'll see him kind of be a bit too reactive, but like you can tell that he's very very clever with his timing. Like um, in terms of like really capitalizing upon his moments, and like you can tell he mixes things up and just hits thunderously hard like the guy dropped Kelvin Gastelum off of like a short check hook which is I mean come on anyone who drops Gastelum can crack like um <laughs> like his defense is a little problematic because he's very static and he can be backed up by a lot of feints and aggression which if Brunson does that will help him big time but like he's he's very 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 dangerous though I, I suspect he's very my turn wait and then wait for his turn again sometimes. But on the other hand, Derek Brunson still has never learned how to strike in a comfortable way ever. So this is kind of um 
Yeah, just just when you think uh, Bronson is getting better on the feet, he starts getting inside his own head and, and the bad habits come out again. So yeah. So even when First, he gets to look good here and there, I, I trust him to look good against like this kind of powerful and technical striker that I mean, you. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, this is a hard one because like both of them are still kind of up there in age. Um. It kind of feels like the margin for error for Brunson's a lot bigger, but yet it kind of seems like he's kind of the guy who has more tools to his disposal here. So I don't know. This is this is a coin flip for me. Um, yeah, I'm leaning Cannoneer, but I'm yeah, leaning can- I'm leaning Cannoneer. I'm I'm leaning Cannoneer also. I think he's a bit more dangerous in ways that Till and others aren't. Yeah, if Brunson um, can hold him down for like two and a half rounds, I would be very surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take Cannoneer by second round knockout. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so heavyweight returns uh, with a vengeance. Tied Huivasa, the lord of the shoeys drinking shit, versus Derek Lewis, who looks like and technically does shit his pants every fight um so um Tilly Vasa should be better than Lewis because you'll see him like create kicks off the hand fight and punches good at blitzing in when guys are on the fence and putting combinations and smothering them on the fence for heavyweight but then I noticed something every time he like kicks or does something He's very open on the counter, and that's exactly where Lewis, like, goes for his, like, margin. And usually, Lewis, there's a reason Lewis, does Lewis now have the knockout for, sorry, the record for knockouts at USC Heavyweight? Yeah, he does. He's oh, God. The soul. So, the question here, so the question here is, how much do you trust Dewey Vossen to not be stupid? And my uh, Fenya, I'm gonna pass that over to Fenya. <laughs> Can we trust Trivasa to not be stupid? Uh, that's a no for me. I mean, Trivasa <laughs> has clearly, clearly has the better process. Did you? I mean, it's, it's not the better, the better process. It's it's the most like proven process in a way, like. For other fighters, but between these two, the process of like doing nothing until a knockout presents itself to you, it's more proven to Derek Lewis. So this is a very stupid fight. Should be fun though, because Tuivasa is not going to shy away from Lewis. He's going to look for the fight. Tuivasa has some tools that could trouble Lewis. He has the, the very powerful low kicks, but at the same time, we might see the return of like ground and pound Lewis because Vivasa can get taken down and I'm not sure he knows how to grapple at all. Yeah. Yeah, he, this this is going to be incredibly dumb. Yeah. I'm gonna take Lewis by first or second round knockout. Actually fuck it, first round Lewis knockout. <laughs> Stuart, I don't trust any Everyone's an yeah, idiot I mean, at heavyweight. I mean, yeah, Trivas is going to do stupid shit. The, the question is, is, is he going to survive? And I Possibly. Think not. Probably not. Probably but not. he might. 
I don't think he's going to finish Lewis unless Lewis gets tired back, but who knows. Um, it's heavyweight, so, yeah. Um, main event time, middleweight title fight, rematch, the only real fight at middleweight that I think is really, really, really worth, like, thinking about. A uh, rematch between Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. Um, so I think the the main question to start with in this fight is um. So we have fight one. What happened in fight one is we. I I think the thing people need to understand is Adesanya isn't like quote unquote a level above Robert Whitaker, whatever that means. We're looking at two pretty comparably good fighters in this weight class. Like two very, very good fighters. Where stylistically, Adesanya is kind of a big problem for Whitaker. And how does that manifest? Well, so there are two key ranges where Adesanya is at his most dangerous. It's if you're basically working at distance and you're backing up and Adesanya is pursuing you, but you're giving him the initiative to do work, that's bad. Option yeah, two, it, option two, is you run at him, and then he snipes you. Um, so those are just about the two worst things you could do. And here, here's Robert Whitaker's problem. So Robert Whitaker likes to work at range and set you up for counters. And against someone who can play with reactions and initiative like Israel Adesanya, that's a big problem. The other issue is Whitaker loves to do blitzes in, and although Whitaker is a good blitz striker, Adesanya has incredible timing and has the tools such as the frames, the shoulder rolls, rolls, the counter punching, etc., to be able to predict that's when the blitz is going to end, and here's where I need to position myself to counter that. So, so every time Whitaker came in. He met that drop step shift into that shovel uppercut and that hit him over and over again. Or he just ran into the frames or ran into the clinch and couldn't really get in. So he found some success with the counter jab, but then it's like not building or anything. So he kept like attacking Adesanya upstairs because to be fair to him, Adesanya wasn't really trying to get out of the way too much, which is kind of Adesanya's own kind of defensive flaw. But the big problems were that, like, Whitaker, who likes to create setups, was fighting at a range where he doesn't have the kicking advantage and is also fighting someone who's better at that range with the setups. So that that's essentially the reason Whitaker lost that fight, I'd say. Yeah, the thing is that Whitaker, like, I think came with with decent, like, initial ideas, but the way he started building upon those wasn't great. He started getting very frustrated very early about not not catching uh, Sanya with the blitzes. So he started prolonging those blitzes. Uh, and mechanically, the, the blitzes, like, the longer they go, the worse they get, because Whitaker, like, has the right idea of getting his head off center line. But he was starting to, like, Slip to the to the right or to the left so much that he wasn't even getting his eyes on Adesanya anymore, and he was losing power of his punches because the mechanics were falling apart. Uh, Adesanya was getting out of position as well, and uh, we talked about earlier about this on Twitter. But um, Adesanya was in 
pretty precarious positions when he countered Whitaker, but the thing is that Whitaker wasn't even worse position. So yeah. it's also like the difference also is Adesanya knew where Whitaker was going to end, and Whitaker didn't. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like Whitaker was like trying to predict, like doubling down with his blitzes. And Sanja was like, okay, he's going to be here, and then he, he just comes here. Yeah, so, so it's like... Whitaker... Yeah, go ahead. So I think there are two things Whitaker has to approach in this fight that are big problems. The first is, like, the difference in ring craft, because, like, in terms of, like, using cage space, Adesanya's still better. And Whitaker's ring craft, like, on the front foot, like, um, is better than his back foot ring craft. Because it's like, you'll see, you, you'll see Whitaker, like, apply things. His problem on the front foot is he gets over-aggressive and then walks himself into counters. On the back foot, he backs himself into the cage. So it's like, although he tooled Kelvin Gaston for five rounds, just see how long it takes for him to get backed up behind that black line and, and see that that happens consistently, like, every minute by Kelvin Gaston, of all people. And it makes you kind of realize, so if you let Adesanya do that, that's kind of a big issue. And so Ringcraft's kind of, I think, one of the biggest issues for this fight. And so how Whitaker has to work around that, I think everyone's kind of been talking about it is, well, he's going to have to divvy up his shot selection. He's going to have to work basically outside of just the striking. Yeah, I mean... There's stuff that Whitaker can do, like, um, he just has to change his reactions with, and when Adesanya doesn't give him what he wants. Um, for example, he was, he was having success with, uh, stepping with the jab, as you said. The thing is that, um, to follow it up, he always was recurring to, like, uh, shifting or blitzing. And instead of that, like, what he can do is, like, just jab again or kick the legs before the takedown. Uh, if Whittaker, like, stays composed and it's okay with losing exchanges here and there, um, he can start building off his success. Obviously, Adesanya, on the other hand, can, can adapt to that as well. But that's still better than doing what that he did on the first fight, especially when he, he was starting to lose, like, a lot of exchanges before getting dropped. Yeah, it's... um. I think Whitaker has kind of received kind of this misconception. I think Whitaker kind of has a Poirier kind of problem uh, uh, where he kind of has to figure out things as he goes on in a fight to be effective. Like, strategically, like, that's kind of... I don't really think Robert Whitaker is a great strategist, and neither is Dustin Poirier and his team. But I think Whitaker is a good adjuster. It's just he kind of has to figure that out, and if you can snipe him or like punish those little things, um, th th that's where Wh Whitaker really, really can get punished. He's he's not a great strategist, but he's like he's a decent like adjuster. He's not a great adjuster. Let's that's how I'd phrase it. And Izzy is a decently good adjuster. It's just Adesanya has issues himself that are worth mentioning. Um, Adesanya himself gets backed into the fence pretty easily himself. Um, and there's still questions about Adesanya's, like, takedown game. So it's like, I, I was worried about watching Whitaker's takedowns against, like, Till and Gastelum and notice, like, oh, he's getting in all these body lock or, like, transitional takedowns. That's cool. But he kind of has to get 
Adesanya biting for those to work. And then I saw Vittori yeah. get the shittiest takedown I've ever seen on Izzy in their rematch, and I was like, you know, he kind of has a chance to make that work, but it's... Yeah, the difference between, like, like Vittori is, like, more used to, like, like people expect Vittori to, to shoot, so he has, like, like, Whitaker mechanically has better entries, but he depends a lot on like the surprise factor to make take those work. Um, it would be interesting to see if Alsan is ready to defend take those from Whitaker or if it's not. Because first layer, if Alsan gets the first layer of take that going, I doubt Whitaker is going to have this anything. But yeah, even I, then, I think establishing a take down threat is very important for Robert. Yeah, it's also, uh, unfortunately, we do have to point, point out. Whitaker also is not like a Yoel Romero or Marvin Vittori, who are basically immortal, like, god creatures who are impossible to dissuade. And it's like those two ba- being such willing, like, fainters or no faints back at Izzy, like, doesn't allow Izzy to, like, establish his initiative and forces him to lead through kicks that are way easier to read. And, like, you'll be shocked because of that, just how easily someone like Vittori gets Izzy to the fence. It kind of keeps him there. And it's like, why aren't you attacking the body more? Oh, right, because you're Marvin Vittori. That's why. Um, and it's like, it's, you can see Whitaker kind of creating replication off of that, but it, it's not 100% feasible. I think people have also talked about the Jan Blakovitz kind of game plan, and I'm not 100% sure that'll work for Rob either. Um, no, like it's not. It's not very replicable. There's, there's like tenants. There's tenants you can take from it, like the idea of, oh, okay, recognize that you have to faint back with Izzy. You can't like yeah. give him the, that stuff for free. That's good. Close the door on him. Good. Mix in those reactive like takedowns off of the body, like make him smothered. Don't give him the space to work. But it's like Jan Blokovitz was also a lot bigger and didn't and had the dimensions to meet Adesanya, whereas Whitaker still has to close a gap. Yeah. Um, for as better as Whitaker might be than Blachowicz, uh, Blachowicz has like one key ingredient that Whitaker does have, and that's kick defense. I, yep, yep. So, you were about to, I was going to say that too. Yeah, because... Like um, Whitaker, like, historically being pretty, pretty lousy at defending kicks. And that's... Yeah, the, that's complicated that's bad. for him in this one. That yeah. that's bad because Adesanya's greatest game thing is arguably those damn kicks. And um So the, the the bottom line is this fight is really, really hard for Rob, even if you can like envision like all the little things that he can do to get back into it. It's just it's extremely hard to pick him. Like you kinda need to see it to believe it first. Yeah, like, first we are counting on him on doing all these, like, reasonable things. And, like, why would you expect that from fighters in the first place? And second, I think, even if he does, even if he does all those things, it's not like he's going to... It's not guaranteed. Win. It's... Yeah. doesn't guarantee it, anything. Yeah, it's like... You, it just you gives can, him a better shot. Yeah, it isn't impossible, like, to see a victory here. It really isn't. No, not like, at all. No, because Adesanya is still pretty vulnerable with like the things you can do to punish him. It's just r- the crux of this matchup, the story of this matchup in a nutshell is 
Israel Adesanya has a very, very hard fight for Robert Whitaker, and that's just kind of yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so, I mean, as much as I want to pick Robert Whitaker because it gives middleweight a 1-1 kind of situation intrigue, um, I, I don't I don't have enough confidence in Robert Whitaker's uh, strategy in Ringcraft, even with all the things I've heard to like pick him here. So yeah, I'll, I'll take Adesanya to finish him again, but it might. It, but I expect it to be a little more competitive. Yeah, I think Whitaker will do some nice adjustments. It's, it's it would be interesting to, to see what Adesanya adjustments, the those adjustments. But, but yeah, I think uh, I think Whitaker makes it to a decision this time. But I'm still picking Adesanya. Yeah, I'll take I'll take Adesanya by third round finish in a much more competitive fight. I'll, I'll give Whitaker. I I worried about Whitaker's little issues, but um, I can see some of those like questions he's asking himself in camp. Maybe like from what I've seen on footage, paying off. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Not not like um, not a clear cut fight to pick, but yeah. Um, Adesanya is the rightful favorite here. Yeah, I'm going Adesanya too. Already said, but yeah, but it's a great fight, and and if Whitaker surprises here, if Whitaker surprises here, that's huge. that's big. Uh, th- yeah. That's a big win for him for sure, and it adds intrigue back to middleweight again because it's like we got a rivalry, but we also have like some other matchups we haven't seen yet. Um. Even though middleweight still like you know is kind of a mess, but um better. Card it's still way way better than than like heavyweight. <laughs> oh yeah, um it's still the literal literal midweight, but like it's as in mid quality, mediocre mediocrity. But you know th- this is a good fight. Um, I'd say this card is better than the last one, not by a lot, but decent. It it gets at least the bad fights are like interesting. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I don't really got much else left to say about it. Um, it's definitely I'd say probably going to be better than the next one, which is Covington Moss of it all. I haven't haven't actually seen the rest of that card, but yeah, that main event is. I mean, it's interesting, but it's way too late. Yep. Um. Otherwise, um. Yeah, I, I don't really got much else left to say. I'm sorry, everyone, that I'm very, very tired and cranky. I, I think I think we did a good job. So yeah, remember to remember to support us on Patreon. Give us money, please. We need the money. Or just talk to us because we're very, very lonely. Who knows? Um, are, are we lonely though? I don't fucking know. Um. We are. We we are very lonely. Look look at this face. Look at this face. I am gonna crash so fucking hard. So, all right, I'm done. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna finish this so Dan can go to sleep. I also need to go to sleep because I'm going on vacation tomorrow and I have like three hours left to sleep. So, yeah. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.